The Good Neighbor Network, FM 101.9 and AM 1450 Murfreesboro, FM 100.5 Smyrna, and online at WGNSRadio.com. Welcome to one show giving you the truth about personal finance. This is Financial Coaching Radio, and I'm your host, Jason Qual, certified financial planner, one of the only independent commission-free financial advisors in Rutherford County. Jump on to jasonqualscfp.com for all about me. That's J-A-S-O-N-Q-U-A-L-L-S-C-F-P.com. You can learn all about what I do, how I do it, what makes my unique financial planning practice unique if you have a question comment disagreement click email the show at financialcoachingradio.com that's also the place to listen to the show anytime anywhere via the podcast via streaming whatever you term you reference it talk about retirement planning and required minimum distributions uh i haven't grazed through this article yet but the tag the the the, the title caught my attention it says why you need to take a look at new required minimum distribution rules. They're flexible. And I'm like, huh? I don't know if anyone dealing with the new rules thinks that they're that. Fl- well, it may be flexible is the right term if you could find the understanding of what the hell they mean. Because we had basically a way that it was for decades and decades. And then they changed it in 2018 and changed it again, I believe, at the end of last year or the year before. And then we didn't really get any guidance from the IRS of how to uh, navigate those changes until late last year. For U.S. retirees, there used to be this rule that you had to begin retirement withdrawals at the age of 72, and before that, it was save at 70 and a half. So the, the required minimum distribution age, and if you're already past these ages, you're already taking minimum distributions, but age 70 and a half is what it was for decades and decades, and they increased the age to start your RMDs to age 72. And the new law that came out a year or so ago changed it to age 73, which in a few years... Uh, whatever, I think it's 2000, 2035, it goes to age 75 if they don't change it before then. So it went from 70 to 72 to 73. The bottom line is you may be able to leave your money in your IRA longer. Let's say you turn 75 in 2035 or later under the new rule, 2025 rather. You won't have to do an RMD. To, that's always been the case. You know, I don't think that's ever wavered. What they're referring to in this article is that the year you turn the rmd age you don't have to take your first distribution that year you can take the first one the year after but you would have to take two required minimum distributions in that year uh, usually not advisable uh, in theory your retirement savings can compound over a longer period of time if you leave it alone uh, rmds required minimum distributions apply to traditional ira seps simple iras 401ks 403bs 457 profit sharing plans uh, and sometimes Roth IRA beneficiaries, which is an odd one. There's no dang tax on it anyway. Even better benefit is that RMDs don't apply to Roths, as I just mentioned, unless you qualify as a beneficiary in that case. So it's not really giving us any flexibility 
And I'll tell you my understanding of the the new rule. Now we have a minimum starting or an age starting at 73. So if you're if you're turning 73 this year, you have your first required distribution. Uh, if you haven't yet turned 73, uh, you have one coming up as soon as you do. Uh, until the, the latest new rule change happens in 2035, we're far away from that. Uh, if you're already taking required minimum distribution, that means you already hit the old previous ages of 72 and age 70 and a half. But the new age for RMDs is 73. And the confusion came in for non-spouse beneficiaries. If you inherit an IRA, 401k, whatever, a qualified pre-tax retirement plan from someone, and you're not a spouse, if you're a spouse, you get to roll that asset over into your own IRA and you know, take distributions based on that. But if you're a non-spouse, you're a child, you're a cousin, you're a brother, you're a sister, you're just a friend, you inherit an IRA from someone, the rules were clear as mud, and I'm going to give you my interpretation of the rules. If you're a tax expert and you have a better understanding of this, hit me up if you think this is going to be inaccurate advice, but I believe it to be accurate. From every source has been cited on this, seems they're saying the same thing. So if you're a non-spouse inheriting an IRA, you have 10 years before you have to take out every cent in that retirement plan and pay taxes on the money 10 years but that doesn't mean you don't have annual distributions you still have annual distributions and those annual distributions are based on your life expectancy now it all depends on how old the ira owner was when they died if they were past the required minimum distribution age uh, those rules i just described would follow very difficult to articulate all this on the radio if this is the first time you're hearing it so here's the big takeaway. Inheriting IRA money is not something that uh, I would try to go at without advice. It's like we were talking, or we're going to be talking with you know, estate planning attorney John Baker. Now, there are instances where your situation is so basic. You know, spend 100 bucks online, get a basic will, basic power of attorney, and, and you're good to go. No sense in going to do work with an attorney on that case. Now, John would probably get mad at me about that, but... It's like tax prep. You know, if all you have is one W-2, that's the only thing you have uh, to do your tax preparation and file your tax return. And you can knock that out on tax act or turbo tax in what about five or ten minutes, and it's those depending on your income, it's free. Now, the more you add to your situation, you got rental property, you have investments that give you a ten ninety nine, you've sold a business, bought a business, although you have IRA distributions and Roth IRA distributions. All of those things make it more complex, which would mean you need an expert to help you. But in this case of required minimum distributions and inheriting IRAs, it is a nuanced part of the tax planning that most financial advisors will be able to guide you down the right path. And I just don't think you need to be tackling this stuff alone. And the reason you don't tackle it alone is because if you get it wrong, there's a huge penalty. And I know the, the general synopsis of, not with the listenership of the show, what's the demographic? Probably a little older on listening to this show. So if you're in your 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, or beyond, you understand, just from life experience, a great, uh, how much great advice can benefit your situation in every aspect of your life. If you're in your 20s or 30s, they're a little bit more jaded against the advice, uh, you know, opinion they think they can do everything on their own and part of that is just their age 
but they have a really bad taste for financial advisors in their mouth compared to other previous generations. And I think for very good reason. The very good reason is what I tell you all the time on this show. It's not a very popular comment. Is that most radio show hosts, most financial advisors are not trying to serve your best interest. They're trying to serve their own. And that's been exposed, uh, certainly more prevalent in the last five years. And that makes a lot of 20-somethings, 30-somethings distrust the financial industry. But one, or an industry having a lot of bad apples in it, or a high percentage of bad apples, doesn't mean every apple is bad. Of course, I'm biased because I am a financial advisor. The thing you can do to protect yourself is what you'll always hear on this show. Work with an independent fee-only certified financial planner. Certified financial planner, top credential in the business. Fee-only means they're only paid by you. They don't work for anyone else. They're not allowed to accept compensation outside of that fee, hence the term fee-only. And if they're independent, they don't have a boss like a bank or insurance company saying what they can and cannot recommend. If you don't follow those three things, you could set yourself up for failure whether you know it or not. Now, this is Financial Coaching Radio. I'm Jason Qualls, Certified Financial Planner. Right after this break, John Baker, estate planning attorney, will be jumping in. Keep it locked in right here on WGNF. Hey, Financial Coaching Radio listeners. If you don't understand exactly how your financial advisor is compensated, you could be in big trouble. My name is Jason Qualls, a commission-free certified financial planner. To learn more about why my process is so unique, go to jasonquallscfp.com or call 878-2134 today. Okay, folks, I've said it before, but I'm going to say it again. If you were my client or a loved one, I would never let you get your wills done online. This is truly a case of where you only get what you pay for, and those you leave behind will be the ones to pay the price. Go see estate planning attorney John Baker today by calling 896-5621 or go to bakercouncil.com. Again, that's 896-5621 or bakercouncil.com. Get the expert estate planning advice you need today. Did you know that the U.S. tax code has over 70,000 pages? This is precisely why you must have a tax expert on your team. The folks at THW CPAs have been providing their expertise to individuals and businesses in Middle Tennessee for over 50 years. And now they have an office right here in Murfreesboro. Call Kevin Sizemore today with THW CPAs at 848-1072. That's 848-1072 or online at THWCPA.com. Welcome back to the show. This is Financial Coaching Radio. Every Monday through Friday, 4 o'clock right here on WGNS. I'm Jason Qualls, Certified Financial Planner. John Baker is in the house here to talk estate planning. BakerCouncil.com is his web address. Estate planning wills, trust, powers of attorney. John, let's talk basic estate planning for just a moment. Sure. This is an, you know, some people do the planning, some being that the key word. Most people do not do the planning and certainly do it later in life. What is your biggest advice for someone, let's say someone 30s, 40s? Are those people doing the planning in your experience? And what is the first steps they need to take to get out and make sure 
they have the proper legal documents. Yeah, so that's, you know, that age range is, you know, young, early, middle-aged adults is one of the hardest ages, I think, to get people proactive in their estate planning. And in the, uh, it, and, but in reality, they have some, you know, very important reasons to do it. Uh, they, they have dependents, you know, they have spouse, they may have children. Uh, you know, we, when we get older, you know, let's say we're 75 years old, we may have more wealth, but we don't, you know, other than our, our perhaps our spouse at that point, we don't have, you know, young dependents. We don't have children that we have to raise. And so, uh, you know, planning for those issues, particularly children, when you're in, in you know, your, your early adulthood or, 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 you know, early middle aged is really important. You know, do you have a plan in place if you become ill or incapacitated? What about income replacement, you know, life insurance, disability insurance, uh, you know, a will, you know, to, to direct your estate? Um, something for your children should, should your spouse also be deceased and, and everything goes to your children do you have, and, and they're under age so there's just a lot of important issues in that age range but you know you, when you're that age you're not you know unless you have a, have a, a known illness you're not expecting to die tomorrow and so it's something you can put off because also at that age if particularly if you're raising children you're very busy you got a lot on your plate you're working full-time and i think a big motivator for people in those age groups is not really assets it's more who's going to take care of the children if they pass away naming a guardian yeah i think that yeah i think having the one you know like when i do meet with people of that age uh i think that discussion and the children is is the motivator you know occasionally if you know if the person has has experienced a death in their family you know recently maybe a parent died you know that might also be a motivator to to do planning but but i'd say overall i'd probably say the children and and making sure that there's something in place for the children is going to be the main motivator that does draw people in at that age if two parents pass away and there's a guardian named in the will or trust i guess um, for the minor children, how does that really work in r- r- real world? Yes. Do they go to live with the guardian, and that's so everything? Uh, although the uh, will, you know, nominate the will nominates the guardians, but the court actually appoints the guardians. So even though the will nominates the guardian, and that person will be given first preference, the court still has to find that that person is is capable and, and suitable of being the guardian and if so then the court will, will probably appoint that person that you've chosen so it is very important you know if you you know have have a particular person that you want to be the guardian you know to name that person in your will so that the court can give preference to that person but it will always be uh, under the court supervision until that child is 18 years old and what would deem the court to say this person is not fit to be a guardian well, you know, let's say if, if it's a guardian for like physical custody and, and, and health and, and, and education and, and, and all of that, uh, you know, they, do they have a suitable home? Uh, are they able to, uh, you know, bring the child in? You know, did, are they convicted of any crimes that could be detrimental to, to those duties? So they're going to, you know, just look at all the, the circumstances and, and uh, make sure that person is a suitable person. Again, giving great deference to the deceased parent who, who we're going to presume knew what was best for her children. And the... Uh, uh, I see this being a larger, maybe, discussion in divorced parents. So oh, sure, yeah. Husband, uh, ex-husband dies... 
and or let's say the wife ex-wife dies and now the kids normally would go to the surviving ex-husband uh but the court's gonna have to approve that right right you know of course that's even even with a parent they're gonna have to go through that process uh well not not for the physical custody but but for the financial uh guardianship so so any inherited monies that the children receive uh, are going to have to be uh, managed under a guardianship under the court even if the parents the guardian uh they're still going to be responsible to the court for uh you know managing that money for the children does the biological parent get the preference or do they have to still go through the same yes proof? no the, the biological parent will, will get the preference uh i did one of those uh last year where we had a uh by law there were some monies the parents were divorced the, the father died and uh there were monies and properties coming in and we and the mother was appointed guardian and so so the parent would give preference but it's still got to be you know accounted for and managed through the court guardianship system in a if you're just joining in we're talking estate planning with john baker estate planning attorney bakercouncil.com is the web address i'm jason qualls certified financial planner this is financial coaching radio what about last wishes burial cremation how, how does the estate planning document address that? And if the document does not address that, uh, what happens then? Yeah, so so that can be important, particularly uh, if, if if the person wants to be cremated. If, if, if the person wants to be cremated, I, I think it is good planning to have that in writing somewhere. Could be in the will, could be in a health care power of attorney. It could be in documents that you've uh, planned in advance, you know, through a funeral home. But we need something indicating that you authorized cremation. Uh, now, for most families, that may not be a big deal because there's not disputes about disposition of the remains. But occasionally, you get a dispute about how the dis- remains should be disposed. Should we have a uh, embalmment, casket, open cat, you know, all of that? Should the person be cremated? If you start having family conflicts about that, and there's not a clear person uh, authorized to make that choice, it could end up in front of a judge, and I've actually had that happen in, in, in a couple of cases. So if, you, if it's not spelled out and the people can't agree, the survivors can't agree, that's a court issue. Yes, yeah, the court will... Uh, How do you spell that out? You just say, I'd rather be cr- yeah. just kind of de- lay out the general details of your, your burial? Yes, uh, and it could be something as simple as even in a will or power of attorney. It's my direction or my intent at my death that my remains should be cremated or whatever the desire is. That's probably not a very fun topic for people to talk about. No, but but, <laughs> but it uh, but but it, it can be particularly like I said, if, if you're having a uh, cremation or a maybe a a a a a a, 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 a non. Uh, an unusual or, or different type of arrangement that you might want to specify that so that we we have a clear understanding of, of what you wanted so in today's estate planning it's very common for the the legal documents that the state planning planning attorneys draft to include the language describing this so, right and you know like for for me for example even if uh even if you haven't stated a preference of what type of uh disposition you would want I usually have a power in 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 one in my uh, healthcare documents that says that my appointed agent has the authority to direct the disposition of my remains to make that call. Yeah, yeah, I could see. 
Yeah. <laughs> Mama always told me she wanted to be cremated. And, well, she never told me that. And then. Yes, that, that's kind of how it goes. Something that, and the, kind of the moral of both of these scenarios, we were talking about guardianship and then, and, and this as well. The more you can lay out in your estate plan what your wishes are, that the keeps you yeah. out of court, right? So, like, you keeps know, your even, estate up. Right. And even with the children, one way to, uh, it, a common, you know, tool used to, to uh, manage the financial inheritance for the children, you know, outside of a court guardianship is to set up in your estate plan a, a trust for the children and, and you name the trustee that's going to manage those finances. Does the judge have to still no, approve that trustee that? not not with nor, normally not not with a trust now the, the judge will still need to approve the guardian for you know that's going to um, day-to-day care taking care of the children yes but not manager of the but, finances but in that case if there's no monies falling through the guardianship they would fall under the trustee not not the court guardianship if you have an estate planning question hit us up online click email the show or any of the social media links at financialcoachingradio.com we're going to take a break be back right after this keep it locked in right here on wgnf have a financial plan i'm not talking about a worthless binder full of pretty charts and graphs are you certain you're on track to reach all your financial goals a comprehensive financial plan is about so much more than just your ira and mutual funds it involves risk management tax planning professional investment management retirement and estate planning make sure your entire financial life is in order by calling me jason qualls a commission-free certified financial planner at 878-2134 or go to my website, jasonqualscfp.com. Buying a house is stressful, and so is shopping for a mortgage. Take my advice and get a second opinion on the mortgage for your new home or your refinance. Not all banks and mortgage companies are created equal. Trust me on this. Call my friend Marshall Sparkman with Franklin Synergy Bank at 615-439-0885. Great team, great process, and the best rates. Marshall Sparkman with Franklin Synergy Bank at 615-439-0885. Welcome back to the show. This is Financial Coaching Radio, the one show giving you the truth about personal finance. No books to sell. We'll leave that to the other guys. I'm Jason Qualls, certified financial planner. Jason Qualls, CFP.com for all about me. John Baker, estate planning attorney, is here. His web address, bakercouncil.com. If you have a question about estate planning, wills, trust, powers of attorney, click email the show at financialcoachingradio.com. Uh, let's switch it up a little bit and talk about just legal documents in relationship to business owners, business entities. Those are, are planning as well. If you're going to start a new business, how far does one need to take it from a legal document perspective? Just should a ter- an attorney be involved? What's the easiest way to start a, a new business? Uh, yes, I, I think it's always a good idea to have a, an attorney involved. The attorney can advise you on the different types of business entities that may be suitable for your situation you know maybe it's a sole proprietorship maybe you know if it's a partnership if you want a a, a, like a limited liability company an llc or a corporate form so it's good good uh practice to to have an attorney on board and, and as well as a tax advisor you know a cpa to advise you on the tax aspects of all of that as well and, and liability is a big portion of problem, right? 
problem, but a big reason people want to establish a business entity. Right. And, you know, there's different you know, different aspects and, and obstacles to overcome depending on if it's an LLC or a corporation. And do people, uh, do they come at it from a liability perspective when, when they're talking about business ownership or are they just doing an LLC or a corporation because they feel like that's part of the business establishment per, uh, process? You probably get both, but but certainly, you know, if, if I'm talking to people about it, you know, we're talking about, you know, what type of liability protection that the particular entity, you know, offers. And is there one that's more protection than the other? Well, is I a think, regular corporation better than an S or an LLC better yeah, than those two? Yeah. So, so like a corporate status. So a corporation, you know, you think of a corporation and it issues stock as ownership. And, and uh, an S corporation is just a tax categorization of the uh, corporation to, uh, to be taxed as a flow-through entity. In other words, taxed to, to the owner. Uh, so all profits through. flow down through the, the owners. Right. Pass through, flow through. Right. No corporate tax in that situation. Uh, and what you mean by corporate taxes, if, if the corporation makes money, they're going to pay tax at the corporate level. Any money distributed to owners is going to, they're going to pay tax on right. the income. Yes. Double yeah. taxation. Yeah. And, and so, and, and, and of course, a lot of your smaller businesses uh, that form the corporation are as corporations. And, and uh, but it's always really good practice to, you know, to talk to your tax advisor on, on those, you know, what's the going to work optimally for, for your particular type of business. What's the bigger issue, taxes or liability? Yeah. Uh, and that's you know, probably I, I a loaded think, question for an attorney, right? Yeah, so so I think that you know I think they're both uh, drivers of the situation. Uh, if you're setting up an entity like an LLC, you know, then you, you know you're also going to have uh, you know the state has some taxes there, franchise and excise taxes, and uh, and then depending on the purpose of the business or the type of business, maybe there's an exemption to those taxes. But uh, again, that's why you have to talk to to a tax professional or a lawyer to find out uh how it's going to operate you know depending on your type what type of business you have so um, yeah i've usually approached it from a tax planning perspective but yeah. depending on the you know, the type of business or industry you're in liability comes into play right i was yeah. having this conversation last night someone's going to go into an aviation type business and uh, they're going to use a multitude of llc's and corporations one for ff uh, FAA rules uh, to be grandfathered in in some of those ways, but also to protect the liability and personal risk of the owner or owners of the company. Now, I, th- I think uh, the LLC, the limited liability company, has become uh, probably the more popular entity for, for particularly for startup businesses because uh, of its ease of operation uh, and it, its flexibility. So you'll see a lot of LLCs today. Um, and probably uh, less corporate filings on, on, on new businesses. But again, it's just going to depend on the situation. Uh, you know, you can. Have you been involved in any lawsuits that have to deal with someone, an LLC owner being sued by someone, and how how mm-hmm. well that their personal assets are protected from the yeah. business assets? So, so it's been years since I've I've done that type of litigation, but but I have been involved in a few of those, and uh, and you know, and it's in 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 a litigation case, at least in my experience, is whoever is suing you is going to try to penetrate the entity. I don't, you know, it's just they want to get through to all your assets, and not just the business assets. Argue to the court, no, they should not be allowed to, and then you get into the legal battle, and and some of that comes down to. 
were you treating the business as a separate entity or was it you were you treating it just a, as yourself in other words did the entity have its own separate bank account or were you just commingling it with your personal account you know that that could be an issue were there any uh, attempts to to abuse the the entity in some way uh, to uh, how thorough so. do you have to be on that because there's you no know, corporations yeah. and you know, LLC the charters bylaws I'll give you instructions of you know right. board of directors meetings and keeping minutes. How strict is the court on adhering so, to some of that stuff when it comes to separating personal well, from business uh, liability? I, well, it's certainly the better practice to respect those those separations, and you're, that's always going to be uh, a positive if if you go into court uh, with your entity. Uh, however, just because you didn't perfectly keep a minutes or didn't hold an annual meeting you know formally every year or in things it doesn't necessarily mean you're not going to have the protections you know it'll be for court to decide but but the other the your opponent in the court is going to try to argue all those things uh in that that uh in that essentially the entity was just operating a, a, as yourself and not truly as a separate entity and uh so it just it complicates the litigation if you're not doing those things so it puts it's it's more not as clear cut protection as some think there are some things you have to follow and yes I and mean keep it, up it, with especially the number one being bank accounts don't commingle business funds with personal funds right. that's a big red flag and just keep good business records and 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 because it is a separate entity as far as the law goes and and so treat it like a separate entity even though it may you may be the sole owner but still realize that it is a separate entity treat it that way and you won't have the have those issues. Estate planning attorney John Baker, bakercouncil.com, local phone number 615-896-5621. John, I appreciate you jumping in today. Yeah, thanks. Always great to be here. Right, this is Financial Coaching Radio. Hang around. We'll, st- we'll close out the show right after this short break right here on WGN. How much are your investments costing you each year? Most people don't have a clue. Why is this extremely important? Because overpaying by just 1% a year in fees and expenses can reduce your account balance at retirement by 28%. You heard me right. 28% less at retirement. I'm commission-free, certified financial planner, Jason Qualls. I don't sell financial products. I don't accept commissions or kickbacks from investment companies. Give me a call today for a free unbiased investment review at 878-2134. Or visit my website, jasonqualscfp.com. A recent undercover study found that over 89% of paid tax preparers made mistakes. You heard me right, over 89%. Is your tax person making mistakes? Tax mistakes cost you money and may even lead to an IRS audit. I recommend you get a second opinion on your tax return today by calling Tothero Helen Welch CPAs at 848-1072. Tothero Helen Welch has been providing tax services to individuals and businesses for over 50 years. So call them today at 848-1072 or go to thwcpa.com. Coaching Radio is back for just a minute or two, reminding you the type of advisor you hire 
type of advisor that you have uh, is a direct reflection of the quality of the advice that you have or going to get. And what I mean by that, advisors don't want you to know what types of conflict of interest they have with you. Advisors don't want you to know that their complex investment management style may be just one that's all hit with hidden fees and higher costs that's eroding your returns. So get get a second opinion. I haven't said that enough in a long time. Get a second opinion on your financial advice, your 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 your, your mortgage applications, your 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 real estate dealings, uh, estate planning, tax planning. Don't be afraid to spend a little extra time and get a second opinion. And I know that it's adding to the hassle factor. But in the financial world, for managing your biggest assets, in most cases, is your homes and your mortgages, and biggest debt, and your retirement accounts and investment accounts. Those are things that you need to make sure are, are kind of all the T's are crossed, all the I's are dotted. Uh, Jason Qualls, CFP.com for All About Me. Listen to FinancialCoachingRadio.com. Or not listen to it, but listen to Financial Coaching Radio online anytime at financialcoachingradio.com. Uh, and we'll be back with you tomorrow. Same time, same channel, 4 o'clock every weekday. Keep it locked in. There's more local talk headed your way right here on WGNF. It's Commander Chuck, and it's my goal to get you to and from work each weekday around the congestion and all the accidents. Listen for my traffic reports every weekday morning and afternoon here on News Radio WGNS and see real-time traffic information at ontimetraffic.net.